You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Hello and welcome to Security Unlocked, a new podcast from Microsoft where we unlock insights from the latest in news and research from across Microsoft security engineering and operations teams. I'm Nick Fillingham. And I'm Natalia Gadilla. In each episode, we'll discuss the latest stories from Microsoft security, deep dive into the newest threat intel, research, and data science. And profile some of the fascinating people working on artificial intelligence in Microsoft security. And now, let's unlock the pod. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Security Unlocked and happy holidays to everyone. I hope everyone is getting some much deserved time off, time with the friends and family to really enjoy the season, no matter what holiday you're celebrating. Nick, what about yourself? What are you up to this season? Well, Natalia, uh, we normally have a big feast, as a lot of people do, and we often eat turkey. That's often one of the meats that we enjoy at this particular holiday feast. And for this particular holiday, there might be a homegrown turkey that finds its way onto the plate. And one in particular, one turkey in particular, who has just smashed into a million pieces the uh, window to my basement office that is like three feet from my face. I was recording a podcast and all of a sudden there's this almighty crash and I look up and a turkey has run at full speed and full force into the window and just smashed it into a million pieces and then, you know, just sort of shaken it off and and walked away and that's, (laughs) I don't know, many hundreds of dollars that's going to cost to repair and the turkey doesn't care. So to borrow a, a Klingon phrase, revenge is a dish best served with cranberry sauce. Is that is that how it goes? That sounds right. And I mean, that's exactly in the holiday spirit, right? It's Absolutely. not about warmth and nope. family time. Yes, 100%. Petty, petty retribution <laughs> against semi-sentient uh, animals who don't have any idea what they're doing and um, are really quite innocent. I sound like a monster. <laughs> in your defense, this isn't the first time they have breached the house or tried to breach the house. No, actually all the animals on our little farm have been pen testing the Fillingham house um, for years <laughs> now. I've got some vulnerabilities in my house's defense that need to be shored up. Well, maybe you can invite Jonathan Barr to help out. He is the guest for today. Um, He'll be a returning guest to the Security Unlocked podcast, and he's a principal security researcher here at Microsoft. And he'll be joining us to talk about a new Mac OS vulnerability that he identified shrewdless that could bypass system integrity protection. What were the big takeaways from this conversation? Two big takeaways here are Microsoft is invested in finding vulnerabilities and then working with the platform owners for products and technologies that aren't Microsoft. And I think that's sort of an interesting thing for people to sort of realize that there is a team or there are teams of people out there going and doing that. And that's because we live in this heterogeneous environment and real world customer environments have multiple devices and multiple endpoints from multiple manufacturers and multiple platforms. And so it's imperative that we don't just shore up or we don't just sort of defend the Microsoft platforms. And the second thing is that the relationship that JBO and team had with Apple as part of disclosing to them this vulnerability, working with them on the fix, getting that deployed, and then ultimately going public with the blog post. Just a fantastic relationship and just sort of great to hear that when it comes to security 
you know, big players like Apple, like Microsoft have sort of a really good working relationship for the benefit of, of the industry at large. So that was sort of a great takeaway. I, I sort of enjoyed hearing JBO's perspective on, on how he worked with Apple on that. And I think with that, on with the pod. On with the pod. Welcome back to the Security Unlocked podcast. Jonathan Barr-Orr, JBO, thanks for, thanks for joining us again. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be back. Keen listeners and subscribers of the Security Unlocked podcast uh, will hopefully remember you from episode 37, where we talked about um, some vulnerabilities that you discovered in a, uh, in a router. And we talked about that process. We talked about that vulnerability discovery. We talked about the entire process. You're back. And, and the point I was going to make, which I didn't, about that interesting conversation is it was not a Microsoft product. It was not Microsoft software. It was a it was a another company that is not Microsoft or owned by Microsoft that was making a physical router and that had their own software completely independent of Microsoft. And so that was a fascinating conversation to learn more about your role, to learn more about how Microsoft does spend time and sort of invest in not just identifying vulnerabilities in products outside of the Microsoft family, but then also working with the manufacturers to get those vulnerabilities addressed. And that's why you're back today. We're here to talk about a blog post that was published on October 28th, 2021, titled Microsoft Finds New Mac OS Vulnerability Shrewdless That Could Bypass System Integrity Protection, or SIP. Great blog. Thanks again for coming back. Let's recap for the audience who you are, JBO, what do you do? And then we can maybe jump into the, the headline here. Yeah, sure. Uh, gladly. So as, as you said, my name is Jonathan. I work for Microsoft as a security researcher. And specifically now, I'm. let's see if I get the title correctly. I'm the Microsoft <laughs> Defender for Endpoint Research Architect for Crossplat. If you remove all the most of the words and just focus on crossplat that's basically what i do so crossplat would be cross platform so everything that uh, specifically doesn't run windows is kind of under my responsibility so only a very small subset of uh, potential uh, <laughs> uh, pieces of technology there's not 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 large <laughs> it's quite a lot it's quite a lot it's massive and it's in many cases it it requires very different approaches Technically speaking, let's say macOS is very different from Linux and Linux is very different from Windows. We're also doing Android and iOS. So it's a big party with with, with lots of interesting guests, I would say. (laughs) It requires, you know, a lot of uh, dedication and smart people around you. I would say that besides the fact that that, that it's, it's, you know, there is a variety of technologies there. They also have a a very good number of, of machines that run these things, right? Even Microsoft, we have tons internally. We have tons of Mac users. We have many Linux servers. We have people bringing their Android to work well. Everyone's working remotely, so it makes things a bit more complicated. But you do get the point. So yeah, that's my responsibility. And this is this is why... You know, I started looking at at the um, security aspects of certain operating systems, including macOS in this case. So with the massive ecosystem that your role targets, how do you decide what to work on? So for instance, finding this vulnerability, what drove you to dig in more and figure out what was happening? Was it part of a larger exercise maybe around Mac products? Yeah, so um, that, that's... Uh, I don't know if it's a funny story. Yeah, let's say it's a funny story. Uh, I um, Bar is very high on this podcast for funny stories, Jonathan. Yeah, it's not a funny story. Um, <laughs> I would say 
the first uh, three or four words in my title were Microsoft Defender for Endpoint. So this is this is my responsibility. And one of the things that we're, we're doing is investing a lot in, in cross-platform protection. And we do recognize that on people that don't use Windows, let's say Mac users, Linux users, Android, and so on, it's a huge market, as you said, and a lot of them do not run any security products on their endpoints. And we do recognize that there are threats out there, right? We've seen Android malware, Mac OS has its fair share of malware, iOS has, you know, notorious NSO Pegasus payloads and so on, right? So we do we do recognize that we need we need to invest in these areas. And the the funny part of the unfunny story is that I am not a macOS expert at all. In fact, I was, I'm was i kind of a beginner, I would say. So what I ended up doing is learning macOS, let's say every time reading about this certain security aspect of the operating system, and then trying to see or validate, if you want to call it like that, how far my uh, knowledge extends, right? So when I learned about TCC, that's a different uh, macOS security mechanism, I started tweaking with that. And when I learned about Gatekeeper, that's a different macOS security technology, I, I invested in that and tried also tried by passing it, of course. And when I learned about uh, SIP, System Integrity Protection, or Rootless, that's the other name for it, I invested in that, and this is this is how I got basically to that uh, vulnerability. And of course, we responsibly reached out to Apple, provided them with with a proof of concept exploit. We didn't disclose it anywhere else, of course. We wanted to do it in a responsible manner, and also provided them some of our opinions on how that should be solved, as well as validating that indeed it was resolved in a durable way after they released their fix to us kind of privately. And this is a good opportunity to thank Apple publicly for, for you know, being very professional and also collaborating with us quite a lot. I just want to sort of put a point on this one, which I just think is fascinating. So Microsoft Defender for Endpoint and the sort of Microsoft Defender family now expands well beyond the Windows ecosystem and Windows operating systems. Obviously, there's there's different flavors of, of the protection service for the various endpoints, as you mentioned. There's Mac OS, there's Linux, there's Android, uh, there's IoT, et cetera, et cetera. But it sounds like what your team does is go sort of way beyond just sort of building a product for a non-Windows operating system and actually is investing heavily in trying to actually just make those other operating systems harder and safer to, you know, safer to operate, harder to to exploit. Can you just give us a little bit more information? Like how, how big is, is it just you and one other person? Is this a big enterprise? Like how can we sort of get wrap our head around the, the sort of the level of investment, maybe just in terms of like people that are thinking about non-Windows platforms and devices and trying to make them better and, and trying to find vulnerabilities to go get them addressed? I would say that, first of all, by the way, Defender changed its name from Windows Defender to Microsoft Defender just because we went cross-plat, right? Because it's not Windows right. anymore. Did I say Windows Defender? I'm sorry. No, 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 you did. I just wanted to emphasize uh, that, that you changed the W like 180 degrees and you get an M. So Microsoft <laughs> MDE now. That's true. And then, uh, yeah, I would say that the vulnerability research part is is important because we know that other folks, like bad folks, are outside are doing it as well. 
I would say that it's kind of a minor part in the uh, grand scheme of things. You have tons of folks working on on crossplat, you know, engineers that have to make sure that th- that we have the capabilities even to protect uh, against malware families or, vulner- or, or vulnerabilities. Uh, we have security researchers who are just mapping techniques that are used by malware authors. In many cases, malware authors will use vulnerabilities as well. I think there were quite a few in macOS this year specifically. And a lot of a lot of what we do and specifically what I do is making sure that we get the right training to folks as well as validating product truth. And to validate product truth, what we do once in a while is to run what we call a red teaming exercise when we basically build an attack end-to-end. And uh, some of them are, are you know pre-breach exploits. And some of them are post-breach techniques and, and trying to validate what we do detect, what we don't detect, what we block, what we simply alert on, and trying to get better. So, for instance, it's very hard to do that, let's say, with, with a SIP bypass, but, I don't know, stealing cookies from, uh, from browsers is something that we definitely invest in. Not invest in the stealing itself, but rather in the, uh, <laughs> we invest in that too. But but rather rather in the detecting or or blocking cookie stealers on Linux on Mac, and then not only do we validate that our you know our, our defenders actually block these things or, or detect them if it's if we're not able to block at the time, but also we kind of mutate these attacks, right? So to make sure that our detections are more durable. Thank you for that. So briefly mentioned, maybe one question ago, what had actually happened. So you had found a vulnerability in the system integrity protection or rootless in Mac OS. So I'd, I'd love to start digging into that. Let's start with what the heck system integrity protection is. Can you give us a little bit of an overview of what that security tool is and then we can talk more deeply about the exploit? Yeah, of course. So traditionally uh, um, in in what we call POSIX systems, you have all sorts of users and then you have the root user, which is, uh, it's also called a super user or or a user that have uh, that has permissions to do whatever they want. Apple recognized at some point that just like in Windows where you have a lot of malware that runs as as administrator, in macOS you also had many attackers and malware families that were also relying on running as root. And in many cases, what these things could do is to, let's say, modify system binaries or do all sorts of nasty things that would in the best cases, actually would would break the uh, device. In worst scenarios, they would actually leave a backdoor there or do something that would stay there forever, right? Install rootkits or do do, do these sorts of things, stealthy things. And then what Apple decided to do is to come up with a technology of, of sandboxing the system itself by limiting that root user. So root is no no longer the one who has full control over the system, you have other mechanisms that prevent even root from doing certain things. And those mechanisms, part of them is SIP or rootless. Uh, specifically, what it what it does is to prevent overriding 
certain directories in the uh, operating system. So you won't be able to modify these directories or, or the files under these directories in order to not leave backdoors that would basically serve the uh, client in this case instead of the actual operating system. And there are other things that that SIP uh, prevents you from doing, like uh, loading kernel extensions and so on, but or specific kernel extensions. And that's basically what what SIP is. Is there an equivalent or you know a similar sort of technology over on the Windows side of the house for folks listening to the to the podcast that are you know not super familiar with with Mac or, or even sort of Linux Unix POSIX systems? I mean, there's a sandbox technology is obviously built into Windows. Are the two implementations of sandbox similar, or is it quite different? It's quite different, I would say. Uh, there are sandboxing technologies on Windows, but they're they're completely different. In terms of sandboxing the administrator on Windows, which is what SIP does on macOS, I would say that there are several technologies that attack that problem from different angles. Honorable mentions would be protected processes. So even if you run as the administrator, you won't be able to examine their memory or stop them. Of course, even as, as the administrator, there are certain things that you can't do, like loading unsigned kernel drivers unless you're in a very specific mode that can only be entered through physical access to the device. And then there are other technologies that mostly rely on hypervisor, on, on specifically on Microsoft's uh, hypervisor, which is called Hyper-V, that basically separates your, your machine to two or more different spaces so returning to SIP, Apple has also done some work in hardening SIP, as I understand it. So how has SIP also recently evolved? There's a particular part of the exploit that I think includes file system restrictions. Yeah, as I mentioned, SIP prevents you from doing a lot of a lot of things. Loading kernel drivers, unsigned kernel drivers is one of them. Changing NVRAM variables is a different thing. And one of the most restrictive things is, is really changing certain files that are attributed to the operating system itself. And of course, this is kind of problematic from an engineering point of view. But the problem is that Apple needs to override these things, let's say in, in upgrades uh, or rather mostly in upgrades, I would say. And then the question is how, how to do that? Because if there is, there is a mechanism, SIP, that prevents you from doing that, then, then, then it's catch-22. And the idea is that very specific processes that belong to Apple will be able to do that. And the way that it's, it's done is that to every image or executable file on, on macOS, there are uh, certain properties that you can you can basically attach to it. And one of these properties is called entitlements. And this is basically says what, uh, or kind of controls what the process can't or can't do and how it would behave in runtime. And all of these uh, files with entitlements should be signed. And specifically files with the entitlement that bypasses SIP are supposed to be signed by Apple, and they are. So when the system, when let's say a process tries to override the file that belongs to the operating system and it is SIP protected, the, uh, the macOS itself will check if the caller, the caller process is signed by Apple. And if it, if it is, then whether it has the entitlement to do so. 
If it does, then it will be allowed. Otherwise, it will be blocked. And this is how SIP works under the hood. And what I ended up doing is kind of piggyback riding on, on that entitlement system, if that makes sense. So before we go ahead and talk about maybe some of the protections that people can think about against vulnerabilities like this, I'd love to talk about what happened next. So you said you went through a responsible process of submitting this vulnerability with Apple. Can you go into a little bit more detail about how that engagement looked like so people have that context and then you know what the fix was for this? Is this completely resolved? Yeah. So... Luckily in Microsoft, we have MSVR, Microsoft Vulnerability Research, I want to say. I really don't remember the abbreviation. That's Uh, it. You got it. (laughs) And then uh, these guys help us a lot uh, disclosing vulnerabilities in in, in a secure manner and in a responsible manner. So I reached out to MSVR, told them, hey, you know what? We have a vulnerability. Let's report that to Apple. And Apple immediately responded and not shortly after i started talking to their their own you know engineers and and basically building or thinking about the solution together they did give us uh, constant updates on when this thing is going to be resolved and and also how and uh, i would say again that they did a pretty good job there i did mention in the beginning of our our conversation that i examined their solution and i did try to to see if it's durable. So I did try to bypass it and I couldn't. I will not say that it's impossible, but I will say that I wasn't able to do it. So from my perspective, this vulnerability is already taken care of and basically case closed. The problem with uh, SIP bypasses specifically and the implications, because you did want to talk about uh, what users could be doing. The problem with these things is that once someone bypasses SIP, they're basically in a have more. They basically have more privilege than you, than your root user, and then this might be a problem because uh, we we thought of a few hypothetical scenarios. One of them is adding a rootkit or, or or backdoor silently, and the other one, which is which is even more obvious, and this was really a, a security risk to our own product, is that let's say that someone uh, bypasses SIP and puts their malicious files there. We, Microsoft Defender for Endpoint, actually detect that file, but we will not be able to kill it or delete the file because it's SIP protected now. It's protected by a mechanism that's supposed to make sure that you don't delete files and whatnot. So this this became kind of a problem for us. So I would say that identifying these kind of vulnerabilities makes really macOS more secure. Because otherwise, again, you have a lot of implications that even even we as a security product won't be able to to handle. I hope that makes sense. It does. I, it's really interesting that the attackers would potentially find a safe haven within a security tool to hide and protect themselves against other security tools. A bit scary as well. I wonder if you could just give us a... You talked a little bit about the timeline, but I'd just love to you know better understand... From the moment that you sort of first started thinking about SIP and or or maybe your when when did your spidey sense first tingle? <laughs> when did you disclose to Apple? And then how quickly was the vulnerability addressed and a fix deployed? And then I assume you know 
very soon after your blog post was published. Are we talk, is it, was this years, months, weeks, days? How, how do we sort of think about that? I think I started from the moment I started learning deeply, more deeply at least, about how SIP works and how it's enforced until the moment I discovered that vulnerability took, I think, three weeks, I would say. A lot of it was also in my spare time. Uh, I, I have some of some of it still. You have spare time? <laughs> so, some of it. Uh, so, you know, during the evenings and stuff like that. Once we disclosed to Apple, I, I did make sure that it works and they get a reliable exploit. Once we disclosed to Apple, they responded within a few days, I think. But then it took it took several months to fix the issue just because it's a logical bug and they have to make sure that not only do they patch what's wrong, but also they have to make sure that they don't break anything else in the process. So imagine... A naive fix would be, hey, you know what? Let's never run ZSH, and right. that's the file. That's the file that was used. Every problem fixed. Yeah, and then problem <laughs> fixed, and then and then two hundred other problems are, are right. arise. Right. So that that's kind of a problem. And also, we had to make sure that that they do it in a durable way. And before publishing the blog post, and we shared the blog post draft with them as well, uh, just to make them aware. And we also made sure to release the blog post only after making sure that not only did Apple fix the problem and deploy a solution, but also we gave time to Mac users to actually get those updates. And, you know, these things take time, unfortunately. It's just the nature of things. So we really wanted to make sure that it's done responsibly and without putting users at risk. But you know, there is this chance that once Apple releases their fixes, someone might reverse engineer their basically their update and uh, try to attack macOS users immediately. So time is really is really a critical component here. You can't release the blog post too early, and you can't release it too soon. One thing that I will mention because you guys did ask about what users might do. On my own Mac OS, I do have Microsoft Defender for Endpoint. And I'm sorry for using the stage for, for, for shameless promotion, but I will. <laughs> I will say that uh, just based on previous, because this is not the first SIP bypass that ever happened, the blue team in Microsoft Defender for Endpoint created a bunch of detections that would generically detect SIP bypasses. And they did detect me without without even knowing that they do have a SIP bypass. So I'm 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 very proud of our product and would say that as time goes by, I think that more and more users will start understanding that that, that you know that there is there is some advantage to having an antivirus or or security products on Macs, on Linux, and so on. And here's the proof to that, of course. So I will say that. Installing installing these things is, is is important. Making sure that you're fully patched is, of course, uh, of course, the obvious thing. Always, always get Apple's updates. So I don't know if you'll be able to answer this, but what what is next for you? Are you already working on next project? I'm assuming yes. Uh, yes, I'm. I'm always working. <laughs> Although I have some free time, I, I'm, I'm always working. We do have a bunch of other research areas. Uh, some of them are still on Mac. Some of them are. I will say that if you guys would have me, I will probably be talking about Android because we have uh, some juicy stuff there. 
and I don't know what's next. We'll see. I mean, it it's really up to what we get from the field and from the market. So if we get that our customers are telling us, hey, you know what? We need protection for Android. We'll pursue that. If we get the feeling that folks are in need of, of some of some Linux or better Linux protection, then we will invest more there. Give us a sneak peek, if you can, of the... Tell me, like, what does that, that sort of stand-up team meeting triage brainstorm process look like where all of you security, security researchers working on cross-platform, as in non-Windows endpoints, and you are... Uh, soliciting or you are sort of going through feedback from the field, from support folks, from sellers, from architects, probably I assume from partners, from customers directly. How do you you get all of that input? And then what's the process by which you sort of sift through it and decide where to to go and, 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 and investigate? Luckily, I do have uh, managers that uh, make the these decisions for us. I'm not like it's not that I'm steering the ship, but I would say that I do have a lot of ways to affect certain teams and certain folks on how we should do certain things in 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 a durable way. Let's say that uh, now we're facing a problem where we might see things like TCC bypasses in macOS. So for instance, someone turning off your camera and taking pictures silently without any UI interaction. And then there is this question of how can we detect these things? And sometimes it means adding new optics and affecting engineering. So my day basically is composed of meeting with with our sometimes me, meeting with folks that have more customer insights and trying to understand exactly what customers need i do have meetings with engineering that uh, try to affect them and see how their timeline looks like and how to make things survive i know it sounds a bit silly but with every specifically for mac os with every os update there are th- certain things that are not obvious anymore certain things that won't be backwards compatible anymore. So you have to make sure that these things, you know, use the proper API and and, and survive for, for years to come. And then we have uh, meetings with security researchers. And then in these meetings, we we share knowledge on, on you know, malware families, operating system internals, um, uh, tactics and techniques that are used by attackers, new technologies, and also trying to understand where the wind blows. So for instance, we do have a big database with all of the attacker techniques that we've seen. And every time we see something uh, happen, we just we just add one more point there. So we can, we can basically try to understand where the wind blows and be really data-driven in, in our approach. This kind of dictates what we should be focusing on next. I hope that makes sense. It does. I had a quick question on your uh, the end of your point there. So, on in terms of security researchers, are you talking about working with other internal Microsoft security researchers? And if so, is is there an opportunity, or have you worked with external security researchers? Like, how how does the community come together around some of the work that you do? Yeah. So, I was referring to Microsoft internal uh, folks only. However, we do have certain communities that we're trying to keep track of or, or also talk with. One of, one of the call-outs that I would say is that there is a Microsoft Defender for Endpoint Reddit subreddit. 
and we do we do read everything there and uh sometimes you might you might see like cool ideas that basically are, are voiced there and we do take them into consideration i won't say that now if you write that you right there that you want X and Y will we'll definitely do that, but we do listen. And in terms of other security researchers, once in a while we do, do reach out to certain security researchers and try to learn from them. Uh, I won't give any specific names, but I do. I was in contact with a few security researchers for, for Mac, for instance, that basically showcased their proof of concept of vulnerabilities without disclosing how they look like or sorry, how they're implemented. So uh, we are trying to be more proactive and try to learn from these folks as well because, you know, these guys are, are have years and years of experience and there is there is more macOS code, in this case macOS, but it also applies to Linux and, and Android than there are people researching it. So it's always good to learn new things from from other folks. Some of them are collaborative, some of them are less collaborative. And that works well. Uh, at least we get some hints on what to what we should look at next. Jonathan, we try not to uh, spend too much time sort of promoting specific Microsoft products and solutions here on the podcast. We try to keep it fairly agnostic. We try to focus on the, you know, the the insights and analysis here that would be uh, applicable to to anyone, regardless of you know what what solutions they're running. But I do want to end with sort of one quick question. I think you touched on it, but it, it might be worth sort of wrapping up here. So in your in your research, in your proof of concept, would the SIP vulnerability that you identified, would it actually have been f- alerted or flagged or even blocked if a endpoint was running Microsoft Defender for endpoint for Mac? Or what would have happened before this vulnerability was addressed if they were running one of the Mac solutions that's in the Defender family? It would have been alerted, but not blocked. Now it would have been blocked, but uh, only, only after the fact. So we have several components. One of them is handling mostly pre-breach, and the other one is handling post-breach. The post-breach component mostly does alerting. It doesn't block things and can sustain false positives even. That's the reason mostly it just alerts and not doesn't block and we have a, a pre-bridge component that is focused more on on blocking things. And these things, of course, uh, intertwine these days. But in this case, the post-bridge solution alerted on my SIP bypass. Again, they didn't know that I had this kind of SIP bypass, and it just so happened to use in a to use my SIP bypass for for something. In this case, it was overriding the. Apple kernel exclusion list file, which is a file, a SIP-protected Apple macOS file. So by overriding that that file, they didn't know that I had a SIP bypass, but they did detect that, hey, something strange is going on. That file should not be overridden by by this process. So they did alert. I won't do justice talking about how they do that because they have you know, all sorts of models. And I don't want to use the word machine learning, but I already have that <laughs> basically do these things and way better than, than what I can probably describe. So yes, it would have been alerted, not blocked. Uh, I will mention though that there is a feedback loop going between these two components. So if we see that the post-breach solution alerts all the time, we do feed that back to the pre-breach solution so it can block, let's say, for similar cases. And the uh, that's basically what happens under the hood there. So just before we wrap up here, I think it's good to just hit these last notes a couple of times. You know, for anyone listening, patch, patch, patch. 
for regardless of your device, use an antivirus or anti-malware solution, whether it's Microsoft Defender for Endpoint or otherwise. But thank you again, Jonathan, for joining us. It was a pleasure to have you on the podcast again. And definitely let us know when we can bring you on to talk about that juicy Android vulnerability. All right. Thank you for having me. And I'll see you guys next time. Well, we had a great time unlocking insights into security from research to artificial intelligence. Keep an eye out for our next episode. And don't forget to tweet us at MSFT Security or email us at securityunlocked at microsoft.com with topics you'd like to hear on a future episode. Until then, stay safe. Stay secure. This week on the Microsoft Threat Intelligence Podcast, join us as we dig deep into the XZ backdoor with its finder, Andreas Freund, and senior security researcher, Thomas Rochia. Be sure to listen in and follow us at msthreatintelpodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.